Hey folks, and welcome to the Blue Light Podcast. This is the place to discover all you need to know about the police recruitment process. I'm Brendan from Blue Light, and over the past several years, I've been coaching and supporting people for the police recruitment process. Before that, I was coaching my sergeants and constables as an inspector in Greater Manchester Police to succeed in promotion board specialist positions. So there's almost two decades worth of experience of enabling people to succeed in the police recruitment process and once they're in succeeding in achieving their dream Uh, but it wasn't always like that so many many years before that I like you was in the police recruitment process it was very different in the 1980s I'll tell you some stories another time about the sort of things that we had to do including two nights and three days in the Welsh mountains as part of the assessment process. Hey, you think five hours at the assessment centre is difficult. Try the beasting that we had for three days. Anyway, no more of those salty old sea dog stories. What today's podcast is all about? Well, listen, there's five big things that people tend to forget. People forget, focus on the uh, interview or the assessment centre or making sure they've got their application form absolutely perfect. But there are five really big things that people don't cater for or don't allow for or don't even think about until the last minute when often it's just too late. So what are these five things? Uh, The first one is vetting and the second one, educational qualifications. Your medical status, now some things you just can't change. Your fitness, yes, you can change that. And tattoos, so five things that tend to fail people. And, you know, I've supported hundreds, thousands of people through the police recruitment process, and there is a big percentage of them. It's in single figures, but still big enough. Big percentage of them get all the way to the end of the process, and they fail. And it's failing on things that they could have prepared for a year before. They could have done something about it. Or they could have saved themselves the pain just by realising that no matter what they do, they are never, ever going to be able to join the police. So I'm going to talk you through some of those learning experiences that people have had. So you can sort of share from their experiences because there's nowhere else to go you can't just sort of tap into google uh what can i learn about the police recruitment process from others well it might just take you to my website or actually it'll probably take you to the uh, blue light police recruitment support group so if if you've got facebook listen this is the place to go Almost at this moment in time, there's almost 10,000 people who are part of that group. A lot of them are serving officers who have been through the process recently. Some of them are serving officers who have been through the process years ago. Some HR officers uh, from different forces, uh, Sussex and Surrey, off the top of my head, are represented there. So Northumbria and Avon and Somerset. And, of course, people like your good selves who are in the recruitment pipeline. So there's almost 10,000 at the moment. Uh, Well worth searching for that and asking to join. So, first of all, vetting. Now, this is the one that uh, catches people out, and sometimes they don't know why they've been caught out. And it's right at the end of the process as well, because it's quite a costly process, and it takes time, and it takes individual resources within the force. And that's why forces tend to leave it right till the very end. So, some of the things that um, people fail on, having any kind of run-in with the law, 
um, if they have been cautioned or arrested or have had a fixed penalty notice or have been charged or have been convicted of certain offences, you are never, ever going to be able to join the police. It doesn't matter how many hoops you jump through. It doesn't matter how much you try and be a good citizen, and indeed you are a good citizen, you're just not going to get in. And that's a fact. So recently, uh, there was one individual who had been arrested about 15 years before. He was arrested for a public order offence. Um, for those of you outside the United Kingdom, uh, disorderly behaviour, uh, basically swearing your head off and threatening people out on the streets. Now, he wasn't actually charged with anything. He was released without charge, so he thought he'd be fine. But the police force he was applying to went as far as digging out the statement of arrest where he said some most unsavoury things towards the police. And that was it. He's out. Um, on another case, uh, the Facebook page of the individual who was applying to join the police was checked, and his history clearly showed that he had an affinity for being with far-right extreme groups. Now, there's no way he was going to get in. On top of that, some of the comments he made on there were extremely sexist. So, nothing wrong with having a social media account. Be on Twitter, be on Facebook, be on Instagram. Have a presence, have a footprint. But the police will take a look at it. And you need to declare if you have those accounts. If you don't, and if find out that you didn't declare it, then that's an integrity issue and they'll fail you anyway. Uh, what else? Relatives. Oh, my goodness. So many people get failed on vetting because of their relatives and you can't help who your relatives are. And I feel really sorry for some individuals, um, but they're going to get disappointed. So what I recommend people do is that they have a very frank conversation with their mother, father, brother, sister, their closest relatives, just to let them know what they're doing, that they're applying to the police service and there's going to be a vetting process and the police are going to take a look at all of you. This is the time to declare any skeletons in the closet. So recently one of my clients approached me and said that she'd had that conversation and she discovered that her father had a conviction for murder. It was a long time ago, but he had a conviction for murder. Now, this is the sort of thing that would be judged on a case-by-case case basis. Um, so I couldn't say whether she's going to get through or whether she won't. It's all going to depend on the circumstances. Another one of my clients, she discovered that her brother had a conviction for distributing controlled drugs, possession with intent to supply. And she was desperately worried about that, but she had a conversation with the force. She declared everything. She even declared the story of how she found out because she didn't know he had that conviction. And they were really good. They were really grown up about it. They allowed her to work, join as a constable, um, but with a condition that she wasn't allowed to work in a certain part of the force. Now, I thought it was quite a grown-up approach from the force, especially when they put the onus on her to update the professional standards in terms of where he's living or any contact she's had with him. Because at the time as well, she had no contact with him. The only time she spoke to him was to say, I'm applying to the police. Is there anything I need to know? And he said, well, just last year. So it's not her fault. For other people, it's just not going to happen. One of my clients... Um, 
from years ago. She's now an extremely successful barrister. Um, but back in the early days of doing barrister work, I'm not quite sure of what do you call it, barristing? Um, anyway, back in the early days, um, her husband... Uh, had a conviction for a certain offence. I'm not going to declare anymore because it, I don't want to identify her in any shape or form. Uh, but it was a sort of conviction where she wasn't going to get in. And that was it, full stop. It was a conviction from before he met her. And that seems desperately unfair, but they failed her on vetting because of that. And their advice was, that's it. Don't bother applying again. They didn't quite say it like that, but that's that was a message don't apply again anyway she's found a place now and i'm really proud of her because she's doing a fab job what else do we need to work on um yeah county court judgments and other financial issues if you are a financial risk if you demonstrate that you're any kind of risk whatsoever um in terms of being bribed you know, being a target for bribery, then they're going to fail you. But some of these things are things that you can correct. So over the years, you can sort your finances out and then reapply. Make sure you give them all the right dates, even if they just ask for convictions and cautions, uh, speeding offences, traffic offences. If you've had any contact with the police at all in any form of investigation, declare it. My advice is, if in doubt, declare it. And make sure you get the time period right. And if you're not quite sure about the year, because it might have been a long time ago, write that down. Write as much as you can. I'd much rather them put a line through it and go, oh, bless, <laughs> he even declared that, than they find out later and think, hang on a minute, why didn't they declare that? So there you go, folks. Vetting. Vetting is a really, really um, complex uh, art form, I'd suggest. Uh, but forces will always err on the side of caution. And for some of you, you're going to find out you've been failed on vetting and they won't tell you why. Invariably, this is because there is a relative or a close associate that hasn't declared to you that they've got certain convictions, but they have. And for that reason, you will fail on vetting. Next one, educational qualifications. Uh, this is becoming a bit of a minefield in the United Kingdom at the moment, especially in England and Wales, where the entry routes to be a police officer are, well, there's now three of them. The first one is you have a degree in policing that is recognised by the College of Policing. Now, they weren't recognised until last year, and it's now 2020. So the first ones who will qualify through that route won't start qualifying until 2022. Next one is Police Constable Degree Apprenticeship. The Police Constable Degree Apprenticeship is where, and I think this is fantastic, by the way, I think this is just an amazing scheme. You get to join the police, get paid, contribute towards your pension, do the most honourable and brilliant role in society ever, full stop. OK, I'm biased, but really, honestly, it is the best role in society, full stop. And you get to study for a degree. And we'll see how this plays out. You'll get given time out from the workplace to study and go to your university and go to the lectures. And after three years, you will get an honours degree in policing. It, wow. And you don't pay for anything. You don't pay for any of that. So you're getting paid to do a degree and do the job that you've always wanted, that you've always desired, that you absolutely love. At the end of it, you will get a degree. Now, I think this is an amazing scheme. However, there's 43 Home Office forces in England and Wales, and 
what's starting to emerge is 43 different versions of how to get in and how to do the police constable degree apprenticeship. I'll give you an example of two extremes. Uh, Northumbria Police and Durham Constabulary in the northeast of England, uh, they both want something called 120 UCAS points. I can't remember what UCAS stands for, but basically it converts the qualification you do when you're 18, A-levels, level 3 qualifications. It converts them into a number of points. And if you've got a certain number of points, then you're eligible to apply for that scheme. Now, 120 UCAS points is the equivalent of three Bs at A-level. Now, if you're listening to this in Canada or another part of the world, that might not mean too much to you. But if I tell you now that three Bs is quite a high bar to achieve, go over to some other... Forces, they just want 64 UCAS points, which I believe is a couple of Ds. Um, all the way to Merseyside Police, where my old friend uh, Andy Cook, the Chief Constable, we joined together in 1985. We were in the same group at the training school. Um, he messaged me recently to say, we only want two GCSEs, maths and English. Now, you do GCSEs at 16, if you're listening, from, listening to this from elsewhere, and that's all they want. What they're really looking for is your innate ability, your qualities, your values. Are you the sort of person who's going to be able to uh, plug into their force? So that's more important to them. Metropolitan Police, they're about to launch their Police Constable Degree Apprenticeship. Uh, it's now March 2020, so by the time you're listening to this, it may have already been introduced. They just want two GCSEs, one in English, one in maths. But if you've not got maths GCSE, the level two qualification, it's okay. You can still join. You can still join as long as you get it in the first two years. Now, I'm not quite sure how they're going to check on that to make sure that you've actually got your level two. But anyway, let's see how that pans out. Uh, the other route is the degree entry holder program. This is for people who've already got a degree in anything, anything at all. And they join and they do another qualification where they get a professional diploma in policing. So I think that's a pretty good scheme as well, because you end up getting a qualification in policing just to top up nicely the degree that you've already worked so hard for. So in terms of educational qualifications, um, this is one to really pay attention to because all of the things I've mentioned there are things that they may only check right at the end of the process. Now, um, I'm not going to mention a full name, but let's just call her D. One of my clients, D, last year, she applied to a certain police force. Now, she's in her 50s, and I think there might be a little bit of age discrimination going on here. Not that 50 is old. I'm in my 50s. Uh, but she's in her 50s, which means that she was at school in the 80s, which means that you didn't have to stay on until you were 18. So a lot of people did leave at 16 with level two qualifications. They were called O-levels back then, um, equivalent to GCSEs. And they didn't get the opportunity to, or nor did they want to do, a level three qualification, which a lot of forces are now asking for. So she went on to have an amazing life. Uh, she had children, she's run a business, been involved in charities, um, done all sorts of amazing things, exactly the sort of person that the police are looking for. She gets all the way to the end of the process only to be told, ah, you don't have a level three qualification. You can't join. Now, there's other forces. We'll take a look at that and say, your life experience is equivalent to, but not this force. And so they gave her an option and said, would you like to be a police, uh, a police community support officer? And she said, well, that would suit me as well. I'd love to do that. When do I start? Oh, no, you've got to start at the beginning of the recruitment process all over again. Which, frankly, 
I almost fell off my chair. I just couldn't believe that nonsensical approach. But good for her. She didn't moan and groan. She got on with it. And she is now a PCSO in that force. So well done, Dee. Medical. Uh, this is an area which catches people out as well. Um, there's a great document on the Metropolitan Police website called Fit for the Job. So if you just Google Fit for the Job Police, it should bring up that document and it outlines exactly what the requirements are in terms of medical conditions, pre-existing ones and ones that you've just started to have. The common one which catches people out is depression, any form of anxiety, mental health issues. Now, the Metropolitan Police just say that... um, they prefer for you to be off medication for six months or more, but they'll take into consideration you as a whole uh, and look at you as a whole. Other forces are just clear about this. You've got to be off medication for one year, otherwise we're not taking you. Now, this is where you can sort of, if you are on medication for a mental health issue, um, and a lot of people are, and it helps them through their journey as they go through a particularly difficult part of their life, You could work with your doctor on this one. One of my clients did recently. She made it clear to her doctor that she was applying to the police. Her doctor reviewed her case and made it clear in a letter to the force that the low levels of medication she's on are helping her to readjust following the issue that she'd had that caused the mental health problems um, previously. And if she was taken off the treatment early, it would have a detrimental effect on her. And she got in. And I just thought that was brilliant. That force looked at her case on a case-by-case basis and made a very, very wise decision because she is absolutely quality in terms of uh, being a candidate. So that's something you might have to take a look at and maybe work with your doctor on it or maybe have a, a frank conversation with the force about it as well. Because, again, so many of you get all the way to the end of the process only to find that you're precluded for a medical condition that you can't do anything about at that time. Uh, Eyesight as well, that can catch people out. Uh, I do know people who have had laser surgery, but there's no point in trying to have the laser surgery when you've got a potential join date looming in just a month or two. So the time is now, folks. Take a look at the medical requirements and do something about it now. The other one that's going to catch you out, or I'm not saying it's going to catch everyone out, is drug misuse. Even if it's just on one occasion, most forces will ask you the question, have you ever taken controlled drugs? If you answer yes, then you're going to get precluded, probably, from the recruitment process, because it'll ask for the details of when and where and under what circumstances. And we we currently have, I do believe, a prime minister who's admitted to using controlled drugs, and, and he's the prime minister, so... You know, it's not going to automatically preclude you, but it probably will, depending on the circumstances. Now, if you say you haven't, you're then going to be drug tested at some point in the future. You're going to have a hair sample taken off you where they're going to take out the roots of the hair as well. And that's going to be analysed for a variety of different controlled drugs. If it comes back as positive, then they're going to fail you on integrity because you said that you'd not taken any controlled drugs. But their test says, oh, yes, you have. So that's something to be really, really, really wary of. Um, and be careful about, you know, when you apply, you might want to um, add a little bit more information. If you work in a sensitive area, like one of my clients years ago, he was in a team working for a particular police force that dismantled cannabis farms. So 
he did come into contact with controlled drugs. He never took controlled drugs, but he ingested enough uh, of the fumes from controlled drugs for it to have a trace in his hair. The force were really good about that. They accepted that, of course, that's going to happen. And besides which, we employ you. So um, that was uh, uh, quite an extreme example. Um, moving on now to one of the things that you can most definitely do something about. And I can remember pounding the streets back in the 80s, getting my fitness right, because the Cheshire Constabulary, the force I first joined, put you through a fitness test on several occasions. I think it was a mile and a half run over, 12 minutes. And then straight after that, 20 burpees, 20 sit-ups and 20 press-ups, good ones as well, without a break, one minute to do each one of those 20-minute blocks. And if you didn't perform better on the next fitness test, what they said to you was, we'll send you home. And they did send people home. So I did something about it. I got myself fit. I got myself a lot healthier. I lost some of the weight I'd picked up um, and made sure I was fit for the job. And I can still remember running the streets of... Um, uh, Carnoustie where I used to live near Dundee and it was freezing cold I can still picture it a freezing cold night and I'm out running thinking what am I doing this for well I know what I did it for now um, and I'm so pleased that I did because it paid off it absolutely paid off now I've got clients now who are taking heed of this and they're getting themselves fit for the bleep test. It's 5.4 in the bleep test that you've got to get. Now, some people say, oh, that's really easy to get. Well, it might be easy for you, but it's not easy for everyone. And there's a technique involved as well to the bleep test. You can be really fit, but still fail it because you've failed to carry out the bleep test as per the instructions. So big shout out to Kay. That's all I'm going to call her. Uh, she knows who she is. Uh, the other week, she posted in the Facebook group uh, a photograph of a car park, um, a, a cold day. There she is on her own. It must have been a Sunday or something like that because there's no cars parked there. And she's using the gaps uh, for the parking bays to determine the distance that you'd have to run for the bleep test and she's there with the bleep test bleep test app running it to ensure that she can hit that 5.4 comfortably that's the spirit folks getting yourself ready and making sure that your bmi is right your body mass index is right as well i know some people might say it's an old-fashioned way of measuring fitness but forces use it and for a lot of forces if you've got a bmi of over 30 they will fail you and I look at some people on my seminars and I know they've got a B I'm not medically qualified, but I know they've got a BMI of over 30. And often I'll have a little chat with them and I'll try and be as subtle as I can. But the bottom line, folks, is get some of that weight off because you are going to pass everything. You're going to ace everything and then you're going to get to the end of the process and they're going to fail you because your BMI is too high. Now's the time to start working on that. You can't just correct that in a week. If you're overweight then you need to do something about it now. Make sure your BMI is within the uh, limits of tolerance. Similarly, um, if you your BMI is at the other end, if you don't have enough weight on you, then you'll get failed as well. Now let's see what else can we talk about. Oh my goodness, this is the most controversial one, I think. Actually, they're all controversial, especially if you're mixed up in the receiving end of one of those. 
tattoo policy. Now, if you go over to New Zealand, they've got an amazing tattoo policy. It's one called, let's show off our tattoos. Let's demonstrate how it's part of our culture, how it tells a story of you. And they've got this amazing video on their website as part of their recruitment program where they've got officers talking about the story behind their tattoos. It's just an amazing a brilliant, forward-thinking way of looking at something that most young people, I'd hazard to guess, have, have got. Uh, I'm stereotyping, maybe, but I certainly see a lot more people wearing a little bit of ink than I used to years ago. Saying that, though, uh, there was an officer uh, I didn't join with him once I, I was in uh, out on response in 1986. Um, one of the officers I worked with had uh, a cab on his knuckles. I couldn't believe he got in. Um, when he was asked what ACAB stood for, he made up something which wasn't what it really stood for, which is all coppers are bastards. He had ACAB on his knuckles and still managed to get through the process. Um, he said, I think it stands for... I think he might have known what it stood for, but anyway, did he tell a lie? Was it a white lie? Was that OK? I don't know, but ACAB on his knuckles, I swear. He, he was a great officer as well. But he'd had a few tasty run-ins with the police during his younger years. He'd never been arrested for anything, but he's had some run-ins. Uh, there he was, ACAB. Uh, tattoos cause problems because some forces... Um, will apply the tattoo policy in their own weird and wonderful way. Now, I've done some work with the College of Policing uh, as an associate, and we went to visit a particular force where we were taking a look at their recruitment process. And we uncovered how one officer was failed on the tattoo policy because the tattoo policy was no tattoos on your hands. He had, a, in very small writing, the name of his wife tattooed on his finger, and it, it sat... Um, just underneath his wedding band, so you couldn't see it anyway. And it failed him because he had a tattoo on his hand. I mean, seriously, how ridiculous was that? Um, other examples of when people have been failed uh, on a tattoo policy, um, a Royal Marine commando who had one of the commando knives um, tattooed on the side of his leg. And he was failed because it had something on it which was an, an example of an instrument that could be used for violence. Now, it's incredibly subjective, the tattoo policy. Some forces have relaxed it. The Metropolitan Police now look at your tattoos on a case-by-case -case basis. Uh, West Yorkshire Police uh, only last year relaxed their tattoo policy uh, because it was very, very draconian previously. Um, where if you had any tattoo on your arm, you pretty much wouldn't get in. Other forces had a policy, if you've got a tattoo on your arm, you'll have to wear long sleeve shirts all the time. Yeah, I wonder how long that lasts once they've got on response. Most forces now are starting to relax their policy a little bit. Uh, one force um, chief officer I spoke to just a couple of months ago said that she reviews all the contentious tattoos. It's gone all the way to an ACC uh, to review the tattoo policy. Um, so that is something which you can change. A lot of my clients are having tattoos being removed, but I'd check first. I'd check first and push them when they say, oh, we'll check on that later. No, check first. See what the, see if they'll give you a, a point of view on your tattoo earlier rather than later, because you could go through the whole process only to find that because you've got a commando uh, dagger on the side of your leg. Not that anyone's ever going to see that, but he did fail on that. He served it. I, I couldn't believe it because he served his country with honour as a Royal Marine Commando. He's worked hard to get the Green Berry of honour for the Royal Marines. 
and he couldn't can't he can't be a police officer not in that force anyway because he's got a tattoo of the legendary commando dagger on the side of his leg this is a symbol of a proud military and yet that force saw it as a, a symbol of violence therefore you can't be a police officer so, folks, um, there you go. I've talked you through some of the five big things that you can end up failing on and some top tips of uh, things you can do to start making sure you don't suffer from those five things uh, right at the end of the process and become incredibly disappointed because you can't join the force or they tell you that you need to reapply next year once you've addressed these issues. Start sorting them out now. The time is now, folks. So if you'd like to find out a little bit more and be part of the discussion, actually, because these are all things that get discussed all the time in the Facebook group. Come and join us. Get yourself onto Facebook and search for the Blue Light Police Recruitment Support Group. Ask to join. Click on it. Ask to join. Tell us why you want to join. Join it. Invariably, you just need to say, I'm currently applying for the police. That's good enough. We just don't want spammers in there. That's all. And we don't get spammers. It's a very ethically run group. We've got some fantastic moderators. I can't even keep up with the conversations on there. Um, I think last week there was something like 300 and something posts and over 3,000 connections with all of those posts. Honestly, I can't keep up with it. It's an amazing group. Be part of the conversation. And if you've got any kind of question then there's people who've been through the process already who are there to answer it. And if they can't answer it, I'll try and answer it. And if I can't answer it, I'll give you the very best advice I can possibly give you. So, folks, I hope you found this podcast useful. Uh, Please do come and join us in the Facebook group. I'd be absolutely delighted to see you there. By the time you're listening to this, I think we'll have celebrated the 10,000 mark. 10,000 people. We are helping to change lives here folks those 10,000 people are all there because they want to help others they want to enable others they want to support others they want to have an impact that's positive on people's lives the exact ethos that's at the heart of policing so I'm very proud of everyone who's part of that group come and join it I'll see you there and I'll speak to you at the next podcast I hope you're looking forward to it bye bye for now